This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. All the latest news from around Selhurst. Homesdale Radio is proudly sponsored by CompleteSigns.co.uk. Complete Signs are a producer of top quality internal and external signs for an ever-expanding portfolio of clients, including hotels, schools, local authorities and small businesses across the nation. Offering a wide range of creative solutions from flat metal nameplates to neon fascia signs and everything in between. Clients are offered the highest standards in consultation and sales support to ensure complete customer satisfaction. With clients free to choose solutions from a wide variety of materials including brass aluminium stainless steel wood and a number of plastics covering most of south england with virtual offices in croydon epsom hawley worcester park in surrey crowthorne in berkshire regent street west london docklands east london and crawley in brighton in sussex so if you're looking for the complete professional service for your sign needs then look no further than Complete Signs. Head to their website, completesigns.co.uk, for further information, including contact details and full office addresses. Live commentary. Intercepted by Dwight, Dwight Gale, running forward now. Takes a shot from the edge of the area. Great shot, great save. Told you we could hit him, Ben. Chase, you mentioned to me earlier about the speed of his shots. And uh, the shot from Dobby goes high and wide, but that shot from Dwight Gale really did trouble the goalkeeper. Live interviews. To be fair, we, we were scratching around trying to find somewhere else to go and there was a cafe open so we just thought, oh, I thought we'll go in and have a cafe, like a breakfast, you know, there's people walking to work and we're just still coming in on our dancing gear and whatnot, but it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny to be fair, we all sat there having eggs, eggs benedict and chips and a cup of tea. There's no alcohol drunk, that was the stupid thing, you know, talking about us celebrating, we're all having cups of tea. Expert analysis. It's a, it's a free kick palace on the edge of the box. It was a trialist orange boots who, who was tripped on the edge of the box. Um, <laughs> trialist orange boots? Yeah, we're going to call him trialist. Like, trialist is his first name and orange boots is like a double-barreled surname. Sam's Dutch. Well, most of the time anyway. Homestale Radio. Ah, good. Uh, good evening and <laughs> welcome to Homestale Radio. My name is Chris Hambing and I'm the host for tonight's look back at a hugely eventful week for Crystal Palace Football Club. With me tonight are Nick Gillard. Good evening, everyone. Hmm. Tony Pierce. Um, what? Evening. You ready for this storm? Oh, for God's sake. It's not not the time, is it? 
Oh, Happy God. Hurricane Day. Yes. Um, <sighs> I'm being topical. Guys, can you, can you shut up? Unbelievable. And a man who sounds like that guy in your local who keeps trying to sell you electrical equipment from an out of an Adidas bag from 1985, Mr. Joe Holyoke. Hello, Joe. What? Why don't you start talking randomly in the middle of the introduction? In a week, the saw Ian Holloway will go right, Palace after a 4-1 thumping from Fulham. Uh, uh, followed by a spirited 2-0 defeat at the hands of leaders Arsenal. We will revisit both games and discuss the surrounding issues. We'll follow up on our midweek chat about that managerial change, the podcast of which is available now, and talk about the latest candidates linked with the hot seat. We'll also look ahead to next week's trip at the, to the Hawthorns to play Steve Clark's West Bromwich Albion. After they lost 4-1 to Liverpool, we'll be asking if a trip to the Baggies is a decent chance for points. To contact the show today, you can send us a tweet to at HOLradio. You can message us on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash whole radio. Email us on radio at homestyle.net or you can give us a call on 0208 1234098. You can also visit the uh, whole radio chat room, wholeradio.net forward slash chat to talk with fellow listeners live around the topics of discussion and some other things as well. A uh, quick reminder for those not doing so, you can listen to Homestyle Radio live on your smartphone or tablet device with the TuneIn Radio app. Free to download and once installed, simply search for Homestyle Radio to locate the station. First up, here's a roundup of the main stories from the week in News in Brief. All the latest news from around Selhurst Park. This is News in Brief. Greatest thing. Should we just read it? Yeah, do you know what? We'll read it, shall we? Um, uh, Forget forget the jazzy music that had absolutely no audio recorded. Uh, I'm going to speculate that someone didn't press the mic on button when we tried to record that. Just saying, that might have been what happened. Uh, but the news in brief is this for anyone who has been living with their head under a rock on the moon apparently uh, Crystal Palace and manager Ian Holloway have parted company by mutual consent in a joint press conference on Wednesday evening the former manager admitted the club needs an impetus of energy but I just feel tired to be honest I'm worn out assistant manager Keith Millen and striker Kevin Phillips will take caretaker charge whilst a new manager is sought a battling performance from the under 18 Palace side saw them come away 4-2 winners against Sheffield Wednesday the young Eagles side found themselves falling behind early in the first half before firing back through goals from Jacob Barkley, Aggie Young, Aggie Pongi, and Ibi Akami. Aggie Pongi? Oh, no. Move on. Brush over that the one. The second half saw Palace take control with Eli Gatsby. He's crashed and burned. He's done. He's done. Storm. Move on. Move on. All right, moving on. Uh, next gone to pieces, Joe. No, it's not me. It's Anthony. Is it? All right, I'll take it back. CPFC.co.uk have announced the release of the third alternative. (laughs) From his box. (laughs) To go on sale from the club shop this week. In a statement on the official website, the yellow third kit will be used for away kit clashes and will be available for both adult and junior sizes up to XXL. The kit will retail from £42.50 for adults, 
and can be purchased in both authentic and styled fit. Tickets for away games against Hull and Norwich are now on sale uh, for the majority of Palace fans. I don't know what that means, but uh, from the Sellers Park box office. Season ticket holders, members and Selhurst 6 holders can already purchase tickets, whole tickets for the 23rd of November, £22 for adults. And for 3 to 15 year olds, juniors and concessions, whilst the Norwich match on the 30th starts, £12 for under 12s and £35 for adults. So they've not joined in with the 20 is plenty. Uh, both games are Saturday 3pm kickoffs. Hmm. Well, guys, that's been a, it's been a spectacular start, hasn't it? Nick's mic's fallen over. The music <laughs> brief didn't record properly. That was the best I'd ever read it today. I know, the I best. know. You did so well, mate. You did so well. Um, it's like that bloody oh, goal yeah. I scored that didn't get filmed. That's twice now. Did you score? Yes. Yeah, I remember, I remember it going in. You know, well. Oh, well, it's, uh, let's, just, let's just pretend that the... Um, that the upheaval in recent days has got to you, and it's nothing to do with any lack of professionalism or anything like that. Do you know I was on uh, I was on Sky Sports Radio during the week and um, gave quite a pref- professional and polished performance. So I've started to think that it's you guys that dragged me down. They uh, get paid. I didn't get paid. I didn't no, but they paid. do. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you know. Did you give us any credit? Mm. I've just noticed in the chat room that oh, I didn't. No, not at all. No. Nice. Thank you. I did. I did get. I did take credit for, uh, for actually being in charge of Homestead.net when I'm not. So that was fun. Um, I've just been told by Dweeb in the chat room that they didn't actually notice anything unusual. So <laughs> yeah. it's so bad that he's, yeah. he's not any different. <laughs> to be fair, you started the uh, special midweek uh, managerial discussion show. We started with you burping, Joe. So I really? think think it's only so only we can't really get any worse, can we? No. Um, it's, but yeah, do you know, to be honest with you, the way I feel unless, at the moment. Unless it's um, got snap, scratch and sniff screens because it doesn't smell <laughs> too good in here at the moment. Oh, God. Let's not go into that. Um, such a child. <laughs> anyway, um, look, we've got plenty to plenty to get into here. I, I want to start really. Oh, just out, just a quick mention. I did see quite a lot of people in the, uh, the cherry trees yesterday who talked about the show and were very nice. Thank you to everyone who I did speak to. Uh, I don't really remember a huge amount about it. Um, as many of you who stayed any length of time will probably realise, but uh, it was good to see so many uh, so many fans of the show come out and say such nice things. So thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> I think what we'll do we had um, we have a quick chat about Fulham in the mid- middle of the week, but obviously we were a little bit unfocused on on that game, and so we we talked mainly about the fact that, that we'd just seen a press conference where Ian Holloway had, uh, had left the club as manager. So we'll, we'll have a little bit of a go back around the Fulham game because it, it was Holloway's last game in charge, and um, and it was a uh, quite soul-destroying experience um i mean joe we we talked about it in the week we talked about the fact that we were we were decent for for the first half really and and it was the two wonder goals and it does bring up this question of luck which we'll probably come back to in the arsenal game but uh would you say actually if we're talking about holloway would you say his reign as palace manager has almost been defined a little bit by luck um uh no no we've not we've not been we've not been a very lucky team have we can't think, I can't think. I mean, all we seem to do is bemoan our luck. Um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think he's a lucky manager. Listen, whatever's gone on in the last, well, you know, there's some stuff that he's put in his column in whatever paper today. I've not read it, but I'm, you know, the only little bits that I've picked up off Twitter today about it. 
um, you know, that he's, he's started to say some stuff to the contrary and shifting blame on maybe even Steve Parrish as mm. well as the players. And, and to be honest with you, you know, I've got a lot of respect for him. I really liked him. I was, I was positive about everything. And, he, and even up to when he had the, he didn't get sacked or, or let go when, when he was called in for the meeting immediately after the game. I, I, I was, I was thought, well, that's it then. Usually, he's, if, if you're gone, you're gone. And then all of a sudden, this really strange, or you know, this press conference was called, and 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 everyone's all all lovey dovey. But it doesn't. It definitely isn't that way. I mean, obviously, um, you know. Well, let's let's address that. I mean, because basically, it's coming from coming from this game, and and obviously, the the defining point of the game against Fulham was um, was get being having two goals scored against us in that fashion, um, and and not being able to respond, and and that was obviously the the sort of the. The reason that was essentially given for Holloway's decision to go, and obviously it transpires from Holloway's comments in the mirror that um, that it was a decision that Parish eventually accepted. Um, um, so, I mean, but one of the things that I, I think the title of the article in the mirror about him uh, essentially saying he should have said no. I think you've got to look at. I think if you look back at some of the, the, the chats we've had with Steve Parish and, and what that actually kind of means, I think it. If you go to how the transfer dealings were, du- were were being handled, I think what's happened there is because of the restrictions in the transfer window, because uh, of how hard it is to get players in. I think basically what we've done, what what Steve Parrish and Phil Alexander have gone out and done, they've got recommendations of players they've had from managers and from agents and scouts and alike. They've gone out and they've lined up deals and essentially gone to to Ian Holloway to give the the yes or no. And I think all Ian Holloway's actually saying. Is he said yes for yes on too many? Um, that's that's my interpretation of it, and I think the sort of the, the nature of the article again is word for word. All those words have come from me in Holloway, but word for word, I'm not sure how much it's edited by a, a sub editor, and the sort of focus has changed maybe slightly. But I think basically all Ian Holloway's saying is that is that circumstances meant that the enthusiasm of Steve Parrish to, to give him the tools to work with in this uh, in the Premier League. Um, maybe the decisions that he took to take players on, in, a, in you know, with hindsight, he shouldn't have taken. Uh, Nick, what do do we know what we mean by mutual consent? Does anybody know what Ollie got? Is it all hush hush? Well, no, mutual consent is exactly exactly that. That I suppose from a, if you sack someone, obviously you have to pay off their contract or negotiate a settlement. If someone mm. resigns and they kind of forego that, uh, I suppose mutual consent is probably a meeting of the two. Uh, we've said he said. He offered offered a resignation, and we've said that we've essentially accepted it. But I imagine there would have been some sort of a, a financial agreement at the end of it as well. Oh, so soon, soon find out next year's accounts, see yeah. how much he was paid. If he's been paid a percentage of his contract, if he left on mutual consent, that's it. He's just he's leaving. He's not mm. entitled to any money. He leaves. If he gets sacked, then we have to pay him a percentage. You're not going to pay him his four and a half years. Well, you've got to pay him whatever it is. Three point three million quid. Mm. So we just put, you know, we'll find that next year. You always find that the truth in oh, the yeah, accounts. Yeah. The club can't lie. But I mean, it does. It Unless does seem. This is a midweek do, game. It does seem if we if we look. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it does seem that there was obviously. Um, it's. I don't even think it was a disagreement. I don't think that's what Holloway's saying at all. I just think it's. I just think um, Holloway's just saying, look. It, it it wasn't all me, and I suppose he's got to do that to to kind of look after his own interests. Um, but I think it's just it's something something that people who criticise him will, will look at and say, 
you know, he, it shows you that he was self-serving, didn't have our best interests at heart. And I think that's not true. And I, I don't want to see criticism of Parish or Holloway for this. I think basically it's hard to part company with a, with a manager who's working so hard. Um, but I think ultimately Ian Holloway knew it wasn't working and he couldn't turn it around. And I think ultimately Steve Parish probably realised the same thing. So I don't really think this article today really has that much of a bearing. Um we are going to go back to the Fulham game, but um, but Nick, you want to make a quick point? I, I just wanted to say how polar opposite the uh, departure of Friedman and uh, Holloway was. You know, Friedman just kind of left and was gone, sort of incognito, and uh, Holloway was like trotted out and trotted out like bloody Silla Black was going to get involved. Surprise, surprise, because you know, mm. oh, we're all mates, blah, 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 blah. So um, yeah, it, it wasn't that wasn't Nick because what happened when he said he wanted to go. He had a new contract put in front of him. Steve Parrish told him, he said, we offered him a new, new and improved contract and, and better and better conditions and everything else with the proviso that they would own the training ground soon and everything would be, all these yeah. things were put in place. And he still said, no, I like the rain up north. And he went. Mm. Yeah, look, I, again, I don't, I don't want to get us get bogged down on, on this because I, I don't think this is one of those where uh, you know, sometimes when a manager goes, you're always sitting there waiting for the, you know, the, the real truth to come out. But the real truth is pretty obvious. Uh, it, you know, there, there's there's no need to sort of think about why this happened in in any way. It, it's it's kind of it's happened, and both and it it suited both parties to part ways. I think I think that's probably all all we really need to focus on. Um, do you, do you I, think he um, felt he lost his mojo a bit? Yeah, I, again, that, that's a thing trotted out because he does. He has said that himself in the past about losing his mojo, and he felt that when he he said that when he left Blackpool, didn't he? But mm. um, I, I don't. I'd point to his constant uh, leaning on the uh, his time at Blackpool to something that where well, and he mentioned it again in this article where he, I don't think he fully uh, ever really left Blackpool. If you know what I mean, I think I think so he was so. Think yeah, I think he was so proud of what he did there, and he, he just he wanted to repeat that and. I think he kept leaning back on that as a almost like a crutch when things go weren't going right to say, look, I can do it. Here's the proof. I did it. I turned this tiny little club around, and and now they're still up there, still you know, still fighting for all the work that he did. And he wanted us to do that. He wanted our players and our our staff and everyone to buy into what he wanted at Palace. But I think he he realised during during the half time break of that Fulham game that they weren't they didn't believe in him anymore. They didn't believe. When he told them that he would make it right and that this style of play would produce winning football, I think we just lost too many games for, him, for them to believe him anymore. Um, Tony, quick. I was going to say, I noticed, um, although, you know, when he left, obviously it's been quite flat. There's people in the uh, chat room mentioning the fact that, you know, the Arsenal game at the very beginning, there was a bit of flatness, a bit of an air of what was going to happen because, you know, he was a very popular character. But I think what's interesting is, you know, we, we went back to playing the way that we did um, before Holloway came in um, mm-hmm. on the Arsenal game. And if you compare that to the Fulham game, well, well, we, we looked yeah. almost more balanced. Yeah, uh, look, I, play, you, play, I mean, play, you, you're jumping ahead a little bit because cause we, can talk, we can talk about the difference un, uh, under, under Keith Millen a little bit later on. I, I don't know. I think there's a huge tendency to, to make huge le- le- leaps of faith. When you start looking at, at games like that, you think, "Oh, the manager's gone. Oh, we've gone back to how we were before." But well, I don't think we have at all. At all, I don't think there was anything that much different about the way we set up and the way we played against Arsenal, other than we did it more effectively and the team were more focused. 
uh, there were a few little tweaks and there, were, there was obviously some personnel changes that made a big difference and that's kind of what I want to look at now. Uh, Joe, you want to make one last little point on Holloway and then we'll, we'll have a look at the, the no, team. No, 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 go on, you, you carry, carry on, right, carry on. Excellent, okay. Well, look, tactically, you, you look at that last game, okay, we, we've obviously the, the starting lineup, the sort of key people in there, Mariapa's one uh, who, who missed out against Arsenal, so Mariapa started alongside uh, Delaney in the centre centre back position, and we had Gabbard on back for us. But other players, Campagno got substituted at half time. There's been all sorts of rumours about that. We talked about that midweek about him potentially being a disruptive influence. Keith Millen since denied that that was the case. But uh, all I say is Campagna completely missing from the squad this week, wasn't he? So uh, obviously he's more than meets the eye there. Um, Dwight Gale missed out against Arsenal. Came on as a sub, and. Um, See, Chamak started against Arsenal as well, so and, and Balassi. So there was it, there was quite a lot of changes in, in in Holloway's last game, and with hindsight, you kind of look back and it was almost like a last throw of the dice. Um, I kind of felt he he'd, he'd almost if he'd gone, and I'm not saying he did this, but if he'd gone down the message boards right and and listened to fans' opinion, he almost picked the team that everyone was saying that he should pick. It was almost like, look, I'm going to do it. These are the changes I'm going to make. You know, sink or swim, blah 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 blah, and we were very much sank. Now, um, how, what the question is: how much, how much do, do we learn from that Fulham game and the changes that were made later on? How much does that teach us about how Holloway had lost the dressing room and lost the ability to motivate? Because tactically, he didn't do anything too much different to what he usually does. You know, quick substitutions when things weren't going right, but nothing seemed to have an effect. And so, if we have a look at those those changes and things like that, Joe. I mean, first of all, Shamak at the play, really, because you always come back and try and haunt your own club. All right. Um, yeah. Even though they, the, the Guna fans must have been rubbing their hands with glee because everyone that I know has basically said he's, he, he's won a lot of cop and they were glad when he went. But, um, I mean, he changed the front five. Mm. That's the, you know, to change half the team immediately, this, that, <laughs> it almost smacks of, of, the, of a desperation, mm. really. Um, I so think what, the guy, I, I think... Why in that Fulham game um, did Holloway pick the team he picked? If, if you know, if a few days later on. Well, yeah, but but, what I'm, yeah, but we we don't know, do we? I mean, we don't we don't know why. I mean, to sub Capania coming off at half time, right? And mm. then and then all of a sudden he's missing, completely missing. Something's going on there, and we're not going to find out unless someone comes out and tells us. We're not going to find out. But you've got it is so many things that go on behind football. You know, it, it's 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 the biggest sewing circle that you can have. You know, yeah. everyone gossiping, can't trying to cause trouble for each other. But uh, you know, this right back wants to play, but that right back's playing, and I'm going to hit him harder in training this week. And just you don't, you, no one knows what's going on unless you're privy to that information. No one knows what's going on. But the thing is, the, the other thing, what they, I, I don't think some people will be looking at the boards from the club, right? And yeah. if it's thousands of people, thousands of different opinions. That are all saying the same thing. Sooner or later, you have to take a little they're bit of notice. They're if they're saying the same thing, Jill. Sorry. <coughs> no, but, that, no, but thanks, what, Nick. Helpful. <laughs> but but what I'm what I'm saying is, it, we can see it. You know, we can we can see it. But I mean, I'm just glad that you know when we get you know if there's something going on with Capania. I mean, I don't know where he can be a destructive influence unless he's just going around yelling Spanish at everyone um, <laughs> or swear words in English because that's yeah. generally the first thing you learn in it in a foreign language. But I, I, I mean, you know, as soon yeah. as if he is a disruptive influence, we, Johnny Williams comes back. But, you know, we've got a, we've got a like for like. You know. Um, yeah. Well, when he when he's fit, um, Tony, you sort of make do you want to make a point on what Joe's been saying? 
Yeah, I, I think one thing, I mean, listening to what we're talking about, the Fulham game and the changes and this, I think a, a lot of people have mentioned about Holloway not knowing his best 11. And that's why we had so many changes, you know, since the beginning of this season. I think one problem is um, that rather than, one thing we should try and do is to try and build a team round potentially even a player. And, you know, or, you know, what Dougie did, Dougie built it around defence. We haven't yeah. done that. We've gone on the attack. Build it on attack. Well, we kept changing the attack. Well, you know, Campagna is someone, he's the sort of player, he, he's arguably one of our more skillful players in the team. And therefore, if we're going to play him, we need to build a team around him so that we get the best out of him. Uh, I mean, Barcelona build a team around Messi. That's why they get the best out of Messi. That's why he, yeah, he's one of I, the best I, players. I, in the, I'm not trying to say we're Barcelona. Yeah, by the way, not, I, I, I think you've got to be careful about uh, make, making such comparisons. I know I know what you're saying. I know, funny enough, we had a, a really very similar conversation in the in the pub after the Arsenal game. Uh, where we were talking about the fact this best eleven, and, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in the fact that the term best eleven is is almost redundant in modern football. In that you you do you have what, what I believe you should have, and what we should have is a spine, a, a spine that, that you know that plays every week, and you get the partnership, so a centre back partnership that plays every week and build, and a mid you know centre midfield partnership that plays every week, and an attacking partnership that plays every week. But I think there should be two or three spots within that team that, that do rotate and do you do get different personnel based on um, the opposition uh, so I do I do think there is a scope for for having almost a best 11 in mind but I don't think you can say we're going to play the same 11 week in week out if we can because I don't think that works in football because you have to adapt to the, the incredibly varied styles that are in the Premier League when in, in football in general yeah, you see that. I think it depends on whether you want to play reactive or proactive football, whether you want to take the game to the team. You know, like team, teams like Fulham, we should be taking the game, especially at home, we should be taking the game to them. They should yeah. be trying to counteract what we're doing, not the other way around, well, especially at home. Tony, I'm going to stop you there. Uh, I, I know, again, I know what you're saying, but um, first of all, by saying we've got to be, whether we're being proactive or reactive, you're actually confirming the point that you can't pick a best 11. You've got to change it. Based on the fact, based on your opposition, whether you're expecting to beat them or expect expecting to give them problems or expecting to uh, to sort of concede possession, if you like. But I mean, I, I think you're being a little dismissive of Fulham there by saying that. But having having said that, I kind of <laughs> I can't help but slightly agree as well. Um, I do. I want to see us take the take teams on more, and I think you've actually got to the, the crux of what the problem is, in my view. The problem was under in Holloway, and the problem was that he he'd set. It almost accepted the fact that we were always going to be second best in terms of possession of the football, and we we're always going to be the team that that has to be a bit clever and has to play to the opposition rather than you know give the opposition too much to worry about ourselves. I think you're right in what you're saying, um, but I I do. Do you see what I mean? Like I, I I'm str- I'm struggling. Yeah, but to, yeah, but if, Chris, yeah. If, if yeah, but you can think like that. Tony Pulis thought like that at Stoke. So what he did is he filled it. He knew that he was never going to outpass the team. So what he did, mm. he filled it up with massive geezers that mm. kicked the crap out of Gerrard and Lampard and Owen yeah. and everyone yeah, else. Yeah. And that's what you do. And then what happens? The next time you play him, you think, Christ Almighty, I had a dead leg for two weeks last time I come up, I get up against this fella. And it makes you think. And then what happens? You're building. First, you build a reputation. Then you can build a football team. We used to have that. We had that in 90... I'm going to go all the way back 1990. We had that. Yeah, yeah. When we used to smash people up in the air. That's a, so, mm-hmm. so sometimes, you don't have to play pretty football. 
You know, yeah. these players, they're professional footballers, so they should be able just to pass the ball. You're but absolutely but, but, right, yeah. But, but, but if he has thought that there's no way that we can compete in football, in pure footballing terms, against against 15 of the Premiership sides, then it, then, it, then mentally he's already got something else in in place. Yeah. But, we but, what, of, he, but what he has done is the, the players that we have have got have obviously can't, you know, they can't play to those to the strengths that he thinks that we need to. Yeah. He had Blackpool. He took Blackpool out, out of our, out of the championship. It's the same as us. Yeah. They weren't any better or any worse than us. You know. Yeah, no, you're, you're right, Joe. I, I think again, I'll, I'll go back to Tony giving the right reply on this. But um, I think what you're what you're saying is right. I, I think that he got caught between almost between two things. He he had an idea, but then the personnel that we brought in. I think this is where he what he was kind of driving at. The personnel that he brought in didn't fit that idea. Uh, and we got caught between too too many different ideas. The idea that we had to play on the break, but then not really having a system set up for that because people weren't breaking. I mean, that that for me was the most frustrating thing in you know, in in the eight games we did play under Holloway was that the, the longer the se- the longer the season went on, and bearing in mind it's only a short space of time, but we seemingly with every game the front players seemed to get more and more isolated. Uh, and Chumak, who looked fantastic when he first came into the side saw less and less of the ball, for example. So I think we got... I do think we, we, we suffer from being caught between a couple of different types of philosophy of, of how we approach the game. Tony? Do you think possibly one problem might be is not necessarily that Holloway didn't know his best eleven. I mean, you know, we can all see what, you know, what our, arguably our best players are. Do you think maybe Holloway is a bit too reactive sometimes? I mean, um, you know, a, a, I was going to say a good example would be when he first came in. When he first came in, we were smashing teams left, right and centre, um, and we looked like we were potentially going to get automatics. He came in and he didn't change it. But the moment we started like conceding a late goal, suddenly there was loads of changes made, and then we had to get mm-hmm. the wing-backs to push on and put, tuck the wingers in. And I've it, noticed that every time, yeah. you know, as something cha- if, if we lose a match, he immediately changes like four yeah. or five things, rather than thinking, well, maybe that was a blip, maybe we should let them gel. You're never going to get a team that gels if you change it every t- time something goes wrong. You need to get them to learn from their mistakes. And well, what should I do next time? I suppose Maybe we've lost so many matches. I suppose the Fulham game is is a case in point there. Um, in that there were a lot of changes from the previous side. A lot of different things were tried, um, and and a similar result. Um, I don't want to. You've got to be careful about rewriting history again. I think a little bit as well. Although I, I do I do note that you 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 noticed the change in the system with players tucking in. I go back to what to what I think last season. What I what I remember it, and it seems to be different depending on how people viewed. Ian Holloway as a as a manager, uh, I don't think, I don't think he decided to change anything. I felt that I felt that Wilf Zaha's drop in form, and um, you know a couple of a couple of little injuries here and there. I think those are things that cause problems. Uh, similarly, I think I think Jednak had a, a spell out through suspension, and we had to change the way the team played. And sometimes you lose momentum, and it gets very difficult to get it back. You can get the same personnel that went out and smashed uh, Ipswich at home. You stick very pretty much the same team in play and play it switch away, and you got the worst performance of the season. Uh, and I don't think the system changed that much. And I, I think you again be very very careful about rewriting history. I think basically what happened is we lost momentum and we and we lost a bit of confidence. And I don't think Holloway really changed that much at all. I think he just he, if anything, people need to remember he had thirty five games in charge. Uh, and uh, as Joe pointed out the other week. He took over with us in fourth, and we finished fifth, and that, that, that's consistent over over a championship season. Nick, yeah, I mean the, the thing that 
that was the final nail in the coffin was, was a wonder goal, and mm. or two wonder goals, which, to be fair, he should have picked the players back up. It was when they came out for the second half and looked a beaten team with 45 minutes still to go. That was, that's what galled me the most about the Fulham game, I think. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. I think and that's really what it comes down to. And that's uh, that, that sums up everything about the Fulham game. It, it, it yeah, was, we were all right at the start. I yeah. thought, you know, we went 1-0 up and I, every, everybody was buzzing. The ground was buzzing and it was great to be under the floodlights again. And I think what that's what made it hurt even more is the fact that we were playing that well. We were just undone by, by a worldie. Yeah, but we didn't respond, and that's no. that's that's the key point. So Which take... is what we did yesterday. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, just before we do talk about Arsenal, I'd like a quick make a quick reference to the fact we played that uh, charity game against Five Year Plan the other day. Um, donations that came in. I just really want to thank every single one of you that donated towards uh, the money that we raised for the Jeff Thomas Foundation. Um, we will be doing that uh, that game again next year, I'm sure, and um, hoping that next time we can get a win for the whole radio but it was an incredibly enjoyable experience and really do appreciate every single one of you that donated so do thanks for that um so hmm, yesterday saw us take on arsenal um well uh it it was one of those games wasn't it where before ian holloway's left we've all talked about um that it was going to be a particularly difficult game and we feared being absolutely played off the park um when Ian Holloway left, there were a few references to the fact that oh, it would be typical Palace to go out there and win. So it didn't happen. We, we lost. We lost two nil. Um, but the way we lost was, um, and the way we performed. Um, I suppose the focus of this again is is going to be about be around the managerial appointment that's going to be coming and on how Keith Millen did and what the difference was with um with Ian Holloway not being uh, not being in charge. I want to take us through a few of the match incidents first before we get into the major discussion. Um, it certainly wasn't a thumping that we'd, anyone thought it would be. And uh, Our producer Tom has actually written here that 2-0 flattered Arsenal. Um, I don't know if it's a, a flattering situation, but it's, it certainly what didn't feel like a 2-0 uh, defeat at the end there. Um, but uh, the key point really from the, from the actual match itself is we didn't take our chances. Um, and I think uh, the only thing I really thought after the game was that it, it's such a different game if you put things away that Chamak's header is is the one that I thought was a turning point for me because he, he's completely free. And there's one thing we know about Marouane Chamak, and that, that's when he had, you go and look on YouTube at his goals, a lot of them are headers. Very good half, yeah, very good half, very good header of the ball. Um, and that chance in the first half, it was, that, that changes the game. Goals change games. And, and obviously Chesney's made some fantastic saves in that second half to, to keep us out when it was, uh, it was 1-0. But um, yeah. Got, well, on that, who, who, want, who wants to jump in on a point on on taking our chances? Let, let's talk about um, what's happened. You know, why why are we not putting those away? They're not any harder chances than they were last season. I I think it's it's quite interesting actually because when you look at the stats, we actually had more shots. If you take the on target and off target, we actually had more attempts on goal than Arsenal had. Even though if you watch match of the day, you'd think it was completely <laughs> yeah. the other way around. Which I was discussing with a friend of me of mine today who said that oh Arsenal were all over. I said no. If you look at the stats, we had more chances on goal. Well, I think equal on goal, but more chances off goal as well, uh, which is typical actually. But I, I think putting away the chances is, is, has been, especially in a match like that. I mean, you know, you looked at other matches like you know the Swansea match for example, where we just didn't have any chances. We didn't carve anything out. But yeah. that Arsenal match, we had a lot of chances where we could have done a lot more, and. Yeah, at the end of the day, that that's what's that's what's cost us the match. Uh, we we were, you know, in spells the better team. 
we we outplayed them in some parts. I mean, you could see they were a more skillful team than us, but you know, we we definitely had more chances than them to put the game to bed. And you know, uh, if we'd done that, we'd be talking about you know old typical Palace. You know, lose their manager, lose eight games in a row, and then go and beat the team at the top of the league yeah. on form. Yeah, and, and that's yeah, exactly what I was saying earlier. People were actually saying that's the sort of thing we did and we, and we would do. And we very nearly did it. But uh, but ultimately, it was a very positive day. I think, you know, the the set of the, the way the um, fans were at the end of that game, I think, sums up how we felt because we, we felt that we've, we got the, the sort of heart and desire we'd be looking for. Um, so, Nick, if you can uh, answer me this, why, why can the same play... Well, does that show that there was a loss of faith in Holloway? Could be, could be because we were playing Arsenal and and the mentality was different because it was a cup finalish game, so we raised ourselves a little bit more for it. I don't know. It's maybe Keith Millen just said there's potential managers going to be watching this game. They're going to be watching you, so you've you've got mm. to earn a place and and stay in the 25. You know the whole shop, the shop window thing's exacerbated, isn't it? They they yeah. know somebody new is coming in. Um, Tony. So, what, what do you think that um, what do you think that Millen did differently to Holloway? I think he set us out slightly differently. I think we played a lot more on the wing uh, rather than playing through the middle. Um, you could see that you know we had we had um, was it Bannon? Bannon was playing on the wing a lot mm. um, with Moxie overlapping. Um, you know that worked seemed to work quite well. Um, Ward was getting down the wing um, and uh, Thomas was as well. Who I thought actually had quite a good game and he was playing he was playing. <laughs> I hate. I don't want to go back as you said to um, previous, but we were playing much more like we did last year when we were playing well, which is you know having Jedinak and KG breaking up the play, um, and then getting it out to the wings. The wingers running up the channels and getting crosses in. We had quite a few crosses yesterday, and it was it was nice to see that we were back to doing what we did best last year. And I think that's what it was. It was it was. I think Millen would have gone back and said, look, let's go back to doing what we do best which is to break up play make ourselves difficult to break down with people behind the ball and then counter attack on the wings and get crosses in and that seemed to work and it rattled them mm. Joe you just you just said it Tony you said you, we were getting down the wings and crossing the ball if you get down the wings and cross the ball you create chances for players in the middle if you're going to do what what we've been doing quite a lot in the, in the first few games is everyone's trying to score a worldie cutting in from the wings and shooting instead of feeding mm. you know it just it, it, it's it's it, i think he went back to basics the other thing as well is i think he made the, the i think he made the obviously he's seen something on the inside for, to make five changes to keep making massive amounts of changes going back to what nick said you can't just keep making three four five changes every game no matter what happens you can't you just can't do that the continuity is not it's not everything but it's near enough so it's 90 percent um but it, it it frustrates me that they can they can play like they did in the second half against fulham and then come out against arsenal i'll tell you the other thing i heard a, i heard on the on the radio today five live on the warm-up to uh uh, the the game this afternoon, and they t- and they were basically they were saying that the the, the, the news that um, Holloway has slated our players has gone mm. global. It has absolutely gone global, and that puts perspective into this Premiership thing. Is that when it's the Championship, the the most amount of people that are going to find out about anything are the people that stay up till midnight to watch it. 
right of the championship games or they go to the games themselves but with the with the premiership it's 24 7 it's it's got its own channels and everything that it you know it's so over the top and they were saying that that to come out and publicly criticize your players it, it they were saying that you know these are i i know it's hansen and everything you know the people at the bbc but he said i've never Never heard well, can, a whole team be criticised by a yeah. manager who then leaves, who then leaves, and he, and he states that as as a reason. Um, I've got I've got a couple of uh, I've got a thought on that. I mean, obviously we 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 are amongst the many that uh, laughed at Paolo uh, Di Canio doing that after we beat Sunderland at Selhurst, and said that that's is something that genuinely accepted within the football community that you don't do that. A manager doesn't will come out publicly and. Once in a blue moon, we'll maybe say that the players didn't play with enough heart, but criticising individuals. And I know Mary Apple was one who got some stick uh, from Holloway, but Holloway's also talked in that press conference about not, you know, finding the attitude of certain players annoying. And you do stuff like that, and I think that that's out of character for Holloway as well. He's an honest person, he's a straight-up person, but he's not one to do that. You know, he he's, he he talked about when he when he joined about being the figurehead, the leader of the team, and as the leader of the team. You, you don't do that in, in football. So where he's probably right, and yeah, okay, he's on his way out of the club when he said it, but I think it shows you just how much pressure he'd felt under and how much it, he wasn't, wasn't feeling it himself. Easy, it is an easy thing. All he's got mm. to do is go go to Steve Parrish, who, mm. who is the mouth for the other three of them, right? Mm. and he just says, look, this player we bought in, he's a nightmare. I can't get him to do this. He's disruptive. He's, mm. he's being a nightmare. What I'm going to do is I'm going to boot him off into the reserves and bring one of the kids along. Because that, that that has to be the way forward. That we we cannot afford to have at any stage, as in either money or attitude, to have slackers or people that don't want to play for a yeah. club. Because that's what you, but, you play. You play for your mates, yeah. and they always say that a good, a successful team, most of the team, the most of the team are friends. Yeah, agreed, mate. Yeah, Mo- not all of them, most yeah. of them. Yeah, look, there's, I mean, there's always tension in every football club, but like, yeah, like you say, the majority will, will, but that's that's what it's all about in a team game. You play, you play for the team, for each other, and it, it, you notice it on the pitch when, when someone makes a mistake, there's someone there covering for them, and because because they don't, they want to help their mate out, they want to help their team out, and when you start getting individuals who aren't feeling part of that, then they're they're less inclined to do that. It's where the whole team ethic can break down. But I think what what we've got to remember is it sometimes it's not anyone's fault really sometimes it's just it's circumstance and i think uh, we've got owners who are fantastic and have got the best interest for for palace at heart uh, but they're they're learning they had to learn incredibly quickly they've been successful in getting getting a team promoted that was fancied for relegation and suddenly they're in the premier league and the premier league's a totally different animal and we, we know that as fans because we struggle at times with with how things are different in the Premier League, and and, and to be fair, they they in hindsight they they were very naive, weren't they? Mm, yeah, yeah. With hindsight, yeah, and I, I think the transfer you know. the tra- the transfer windows pushed us into a situation which I think even even Holloway said we didn't really stay true to what we said we were going to do. Well, if um, we'd have done that, if we'd have stayed true to everything, we we wouldn't have bought anyone. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I mean, but the trouble is, um, in saying that, I think he's been unfair. Because I think the trouble with doing that is you can say, oh, we should have stayed true to what we've done. Well, because you can't play that out, can you? You can't then go back and see what would have happened if you'd done that and whether it would have been any better. So I think it's it's unfair. I think all you can do is look at what's happened and why it's gone wrong and say, well, OK, maybe we shouldn't have done that. But 
the thing is, it's about how you move on. And, and clearly, Ian Holloway felt that he, he couldn't move us on. So, I mean, we're, we're talking about this, the, the Arsenal game. I'm very aware that you guys want to speak. Um, I don't know, Jill, did you say your thing? And now it's Tony? No, you... I'll, I'll just, can I add one more thing? Sorry, Tony, yeah. just before. I'll, I'll go back. I said it. I said it many moons ago on a podcast. And I'll say it again. I honestly think that if you don't have a, a three, a, a two and a half to three million pounds a year striker, then you're going to struggle. I, I, honestly, it's very rare, it's a very rare bird that comes up, that that, that where its strikers start scoring, you know. And case in point, I say it again, Southampton went out and paid fourteen and a half million quid for that Roma striker, and he's scoring goals from, you know, it's whatever he's on. If he's on fifty grand a week, you know, <coughs> you've got to there. That that's the kind of money we got. I'm not saying it's we have to pay every. Joe, isn't it? No, no, no. But what I'm saying is that that is it, Nick. That is it. If you you have to sooner or later, you have to pay a top quality. You have to be paying fifty grand a week for a top quality forward and fifty grand a week for at least one centre back, so that you know you have got a mustard set, at least one mustard centre back and one mustard forward. Because Joe. the other thing as well, go on. Uh, the the you got to remember this. I, I'm in no way disagreeing with you, but there's there's another stage to that process of, of identifying and getting that player. And, and it's get- Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And it's getting, and it's getting that player to join you. It's getting that player to, go, to actually say... Yeah, the weight structure, I think they said they were, didn't want to break. Well, all I'll say to that is, we were, is that we had agreed everything that Fulham agreed for Darren Bent. And we'd agreed as to deal with, with Nicholas Bentner. We went out to get international quality no because yeah. of the injury that was the only reason yeah yeah i know i know and, and that to be honest with you that could be that you look at that that incident and bearing in mind that bentner was the the full that was the full back option because we couldn't get bent because he joined fulham yeah um but what i'm saying is we tried that we did try and i think that in itself it, it shows you the difficulties that you you have as especially as the the third promoted club if you like I understand, yeah. it's, but I, but I think you come back to the the point of was our reaction to to failing to do that was our reaction the wrong one and that seems to be what Holloway believes uh, our reaction to not getting those players in and deciding that we'll go and get a load more of different types of players in who are less of lesser quality but would do a good job in the division below he believes that that was the um, the wrong wrong state. I've got some DJ Suarez didn't uh, disagree with me about Bent's international quality. Okay, maybe not now. International pedigree in the past certainly he was. He's an England international. Might do so. Is Carlton Cole. Um, <clears throat> uh, just a couple. Watch your mouth. Sorry, Ken. Uh, Ken Berman emailed in. Just said, uh, given that the result of signs that relegation isn't a formality, if we play to the strengths, we can get a few a few results are quite possible. 
Uh, and there was another observation that I saw on Twitter regarding we, the, the fact we were talking about how you know how did we set up differently? How come we played like we did against Arsenal? And Bob the Eagle on Twitter said um, Arsenal was essentially a free game, so he reckons there was a bit less pressure, and so the squad played more for fun. Well, they certainly, I think played did look like they played without without a little bit of pressure on them for for certain. But there is there's pressure in not having a manager though. So um, as we've talked about. So um, yeah, plenty to get on with there. We uh, take us through some of the uh, forward reviews while we're in the in the game. Just pick a couple out. Um, ben Grossman says we will stay up. Uh, Tony Johnson says Monday depression, Saturday encouragement in relation to both games. Uh, Bob White says players commitment returns yesterday. Uh, Alessandro Penge says uh, Shamak works very hard. Uh, Caroline Shaw says after Dieter comes fire, and Ben Grossman fingertips away from glory, which I quite like because. Couple of cracking saves from Chesney. He's referencing there. Um, I say, can we uh, go on a little bit more, uh, Tony? Oh, actually, before I say that, Hambo's omniscience about the chat room amazes me. Omniscience. It's a big word for a Sunday, isn't it? My word. Wholeradio.net/slash/chat. If you want to join us, there's still a few minutes to go, isn't there, Chris? Yeah, there is loads, loads of minutes to go. Ah, it's gone quick, isn't it? Uh, Tony, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit harsh. Yeah, I know. In the box. Well, I, I, I had a couple of brief points about the Arsenal game. Um, firstly, another penalty. And I've noticed now that if you take sort of the, the uh, arguably the top six clubs in the Premiership, so you've got Arsenal, Man City, Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, we have had a penalty against all the ones that we've come across so far this year. So we've had a penalty against Tottenham. So they've had a penalty against us, should I say. So Tottenham had a penalty against us. Arsenal, Liverpool and Man United, all the top six teams we've conceded the penalty to. I just thought that was an interesting point to it, bring up that I noticed it, on Saturday. It is, it is interesting. I mean, the one thing I would say about the <clears throat> about the penalty this time round is I had no, there's obviously no doubts about it. I mean, Gagliora had uh, a pretty good game. Um, I mean, well, uh, he was playing a little bit more advanced, wasn't he, than, than he had been in, in the game, that any other game he did start. But, um, but he's you know, worked hard to get back there. Do you, I mean, do you think, Tony, he was, he was getting back to try and block a cross, wasn't he? And he slid I in there he really played, quick. Cool. I think he played very well, actually. The only, the only criticisms I'd have of him is he doesn't get his head up. There were, there were a number of times when, when the ball was given to him, in advance role, and he made good runs. He was strong on the ball. It was good to watch. But then when he did get the ball and he started running, there were easy options, either wide or in front of him, where he could have. And you could see the players screaming at him to pass the ball. But mm. all he'd do is he'd put his head down and run straight. And then Arsenal would get four or five players around him, and then he's got nowhere else to go. With regards to the penalty, um, it was a blatant penalty. There's no doubt about that. But I've seen the replay a couple of times on, on Match of the Day, and you feel slightly sorry for him because it was his trailing leg that just yeah. about clipped the player. It wasn't that he clattered him. Uh, his his forward leg didn't touch him. He completely no. missed. It was his trailing leg that just clipped the player, and it was a penalty, so you can't argue with it. Yeah. Um, but that, that's kind of what I meant about the the, tra- the trailing leg. He, he was actually, that front foot was going up to block the cross, but the Arsenal players obviously checked back, isn't he? Uh, rather yeah, than putting exactly. the cross in. It was a, a he, was always gonna, he was always going to go over anyway, because he's mm. German. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show wouldn't be the show without that casual, casual xenophobia from gel. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got a question off of, uh, off of Twitter. Uh, from Lee Taylor, and uh, he says, does everyone agree that this next managerial appointment is going to be one of the most important decisions we've had in years? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit wary that uh, Nick wanted to make a point there. If we jump back, we're going to be jumping backwards and forwards between the two things. Can we come back to that question in about five minutes? 
Yeah, of course. Is that all right? Uh, yeah. Just so when Nick can make his point. Uh, Barry Bannon thought he played excellent yesterday. Great um, game. Yeah. Could he play in the same team as Jonathan Williams? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, do you know what? I'd absolutely love the two of them playing together because I think they'd give... This is why it's frustrating because it's not that we're not picking Williams, is it? It's, he's not available, but I think the two of them could play in the same team easily. I think they'd be fantastic. You could... I mean, they, the two of them <coughs> exchanging positions, you know, one central, one out, a little bit pushed out wide. They can interchange. They're, they're very, very similar players. Bannon, who, for, for whatever reason, rumoured to, to have fallen out with Holloway quite quickly... Uh, for whatever reason, hadn't been involved, and he'd been, you know, there, there or thereabouts for man of the match for for both of the games that he played previously, and he showed why that was again great on the ball, two good feet, just plenty of endeavour, plenty of effort, was was important defensively and and in us breaking, and I think that's the main thing for me today. We we the way we have set up under Holloway and and under Keith Millen there, we've got to get people breaking forward when we you know when we do have the ball because we are playing counter attack, and it. It's absolutely critical, and to have have a midfield that was way, way, way too static um, was leaving people isolated, and that's why we were much more dangerous yesterday. I felt, and um, we'll come back. Just Joe, you want to make a point on that? And while you're doing that, I'll have a little think about um, the rest. of You have a think about man of the match. Yeah, it's it's, it's not a uh, it's not a point on that. I just I'm, I just want to go back to the bit where of, uh, with the way that the team actually played and their commitment mm. as compared to the 45 minutes for, for the Fulham game, and until Parish went down and said you're the interim manager for the moment, he was actually running the club, or just, mm. you know he would have had the main stay in it, stay in the club, and I think if I was him, I would have gone down there and I would have got them all together and I would have had a proper I would have, I would have told them. I would have told them what I thought, and mm-hmm. what the fans thought, and what everyone thinks of them. And the other thing as well, they're not immune to be picking up the papers and seeing that they have been slagged all over the world now by everyone, and that's only going to look bad on them. So they had to get, to, you know, to up their commitment rate. Now there's changes coming in, which obviously some of them, it, it's obvious that some of them wanted it. Then yeah. uh, I can, I can only see more. I'm not say better performances, but more committed performances. And that's the thing we've always said that. We may not win. We, we we could lose every single game. If we show commitment, uh, then we go down fighting. It's a lot. Like. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to take if we, if we do go down. Go exactly. Down. Um, okay, just keep thinking about your ma- men of the match, guys. Uh, Tony, you wanted to make some quick points. They better be quick. Yeah, they are two quick points. One of them is a question that we might have to address on another show, um, and it was just um, something they brought up on Match of the Day about Shamak, and they were showing that for a man who we brought in to be arguably a premiership version of Murray, i.e. holds the ball up. He doesn't do that very well at all. He's definitely mm. a man that's not got confidence at the moment, but they were showing you know, his tackle against Stoke. They were showing the amount of times when he got the ball and was just very easily wrestled off the ball against Arsenal. And I don't know, he just doesn't look the player that I was really hoping that we might have bought. Let, let, maybe he'll prove wrong, but it's a question possibly for another show. No, let's talk about Shemak very quickly. Um, before, I felt... Before you got, I was going to say we've got to answer the point, haven't we? Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, but... Otherwise, it's pointless, isn't it? Uh, so let, let's talk very, very quickly about Schmack. I think he, I think it's very easy for some for someone like Match of the Day to show a bunch of clips showing someone not doing things wrong. Okay, um, and I do think Schmack has been. Uh, it's entitled to you're entitled to criticise him for the way he has gone about things in recent weeks. Uh, I, I personally feel that he's probably one of those who. Was, pretty, was unhappy under Holloway. But what I will say about him is I think he works a lot harder than people give him credit for. I think he, I think he puts a lot of effort in running the channels. 
Uh, and I think what he has suffered from is a lack of support around him. Uh, and unfortunately, he's not one of those who will just carry on and plug along anyway. Um, he's one of those who will show his displeasure. And, and the, one of the key moments in the game came from, it was, it was a great ball out to him, but uh, from Jedernak up the line. But just they, they also showed this on match of the day, fortunately. They, uh, and they showed that the, the sort of fact that Chamaka was actually back in his penalty area, made a clear and header, and had the presence of mind to look how Arsenal had set up ahead of him to drift yeah, wide right and, 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 you know, basically created what would have been a, a very good goal-scoring chance, not for a foul. So I, I genuinely, I'm not sure what the process is. It's, it's so frustrating watching Shamak because he's brilliant one minute and he's crap the next. I nearly said a word then. Yeah. And uh, it's we need that consistency, Chris, and it's all right. You know, he did make some really good passes for him and balls for him, held the ball, ball up, but good- he did make a lot of mistakes. There was and a good point made on the. There was a good point made in the Sunderland versus Newcastle match when Fletcher scored the goal, the first goal, and um, I can't remember which commentator it was, and I think it rings perfectly true here. Is they said if you feed strikers, they will score goals, mm. and that's what we don't do. Yeah, Gel says it every week, um, and he and he's right as well. Like, but again, like you said, getting crosses in, all that sort of stuff helps. Uh, there was a point on Twitter. Tony Johnson was just mentioning it, saying that um, did Chamak basically take that free kick? Um, you know, take take the contact from uh, from Arteta too too easily to to gain that free kick when he could have actually squared to Gediora. Uh Looking at the footage, I suppose he certainly was happy to take the foul uh, and the resulting red card and what have you. Um, I was wondering if he couldn't maybe have stayed on his feet and and actually carried on running and pushed that and actually get a shot off on goal. I'm not so sure about squaring it with Diora. I'm not sure Gadiora had the pace to get away from the defence that was chasing back with him. Myself uh, looking at it, but. Sorry, um, reading an Arsenal blog, they they echoed that they were glad to get rid of Shamak because he mm. fell over too easily, and they'd rather he'd shoot and mm. and actually try and do things. And again, it was shown on match of the day, but there were a few. And I think the most shocking one is did the, the um, when he pulled out of the tackle against Stoke. Yeah, and I, I just hope that doesn't. Yeah, sum, um, sum yeah what I, I really spoke- want to see him do is sure. get the ball spiked on his. Um, well-gelled hair and run into the ball, run into the goal with the ball on a spike. I think he'll do that one of these games. It's the only way he's going to score. No, I just, I, the only thing I'll say about him is that if you, if you take away his faults, you take away the things that, that, you know, the fact that he doesn't quite get a shot away quick enough a lot of the time and the fact that, you know, he does have moments where he goes a little bit missing and he does have moments where uh, he makes the wrong choices. He wouldn't be playing for us, pure and simple. Um, so you've just got to make sure you give him the opportunity to do the good things that he does more often than not. Uh, and that's kind of what we need. And that's where Tony's talking about fo- make, focusing the team around certain players. That's yeah. the sort of thing you've got to do. Um, and you've got to make your mind up. Can you realistically focus a team that will create as many chances or, and, and the best possible platform for Marianne, Marianne Schumacher to play well? And do you want to do that? Um, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. I think... I think it's worthwhile. I think it is worth. I think he's in a good enough player that if you if you give him those opportunities, I think that we'll see we'll see the best of him. But if we don't see it before Glenn Murray's back fit and, and Glenn's the same player we uh, we had last time, then I can't see Tremont getting in ahead of him the way he's playing at the moment. Um, got a few thoughts from that chat room from Man of the Match. Uh, Hubbo says uh, between three of Bannon, Ward, or Moxie. Uh, Tony, you've said Ward. Jill, you said you need two minutes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, Dweeb says Ward. My laptop uh, was running out of power, that's why. Oh, no worries, mate. Uh, Bub Ward. says uh, Gabadon. Ward for me. 
Ward for you. Uh, Bub says Gabadon had a good game. Are we allowed to say that? Yeah, you absolutely are. I did have a good game. Uh, Epsom Eagle says uh, mine is Moxie. Ollie mates on Eagle says Ward for him. Um, that's all, actually that's Ollie's dad Ash. Yay! Ollie's dad Ash is brilliant. Um, uh, Serial Thriller says Gabadon was uh, his man of the match. Didn't put a foot wrong. Uh, so those are all the favourites. I think. Um, yeah, I think I think Joe Ward was was excellent. Like he probably shaded it from, from Bannon, but I thought Bannon did an awful lot as well. So it was good to have um good to have a choice. I thought Jednak's getting getting back towards his best as well. I thought he was very good. Uh, looked very much more comfortable alongside KG there. Uh very um so I'm just checking uh if that Wardy shot had gone in. That's from uh, producer Tom. He's referring to that that crossbar effort from Joe Ward. It would have been an absolutely fantastic goal and a really fitting way to reward us for the fact that we were playing very well at the time. So there you go. Uh, Nick? It was KG your... for me, man of the match. I thought it was immense oh, okay. yesterday. I thought it was immense and I thought it was kind of the glue that kind of held that nucleus together, especially in that first 20 minutes. Um, you know, it, it was covering for uh, Jedinak. Jedinak was back to his best winning headers again. And, you know, again, on the on the footage on match of the day, you could see Jedinak actually got the ball out to Shemak. And I remember in the game thinking, oh, wow, Jedinak's managed to get a pass on target. And Shemak just seemed so weak. He just, for somebody so big, how can he get knocked off the ball so easily? Mm, it's, uh, well... Because he isn't English. <laughs> Joe, even though you said that quite... <laughs> <laughs> it's, still, yeah. it's still not acceptable with the microphone to your face. Uh, I'd like to apologise for any non-xenophobic slash racist listeners who were offended by Mr. Joe Hollyoaks' comments. Unbelievable. It's worse every week. Anyway, can I can I just me me in the chat? Yeah, go on. And say that when he comes back, I, I, I honestly don't care. We just got to play Murray. We just got to play him instead of Shamak because he just. Shamak is a hold-up player, so is Murray. But then Shamak hasn't got any end products in in the games that he's played, and and Murray, I just think will will find better spaces. And he'll, and the other thing as well, it'll be an unknown quantity to the to to, uh, to the Premiership. They'll think he's slow, but when you know we, we're not after. We all know he's not fast, so they'll be expecting that. But I don't think they'll be expecting the, the, you know his leap as such. So, look, we need goals, and, and he gets in goal-scoring positions week in, week out. Tony, I think it's a good point that you make there, Joe. I think Murray coming back could, hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed that he comes back. You know, at least you know, back to what he was, back to what he was when before he got injured. Um, I think it would make a massive, massive difference um, to us. I think I, I said to a friend of mine um, over the week when they were trying to ask me what's what's gone wrong with Palace, why are we doing so badly? And um, it's actually been brought up by Nick as well, is that, you know, Southampton wouldn't have stayed in the Premiership if it wasn't for their top scorer, Ricky Lambert, continuing the good work he did in the Premiership, um, in the Championship, in the Premiership. And I think if Murray hadn't got injured, he would have done the same job for us. So I think he's a very important player for us. You know, even if he's, I think, you know, 75% there, I still think he's very important for, for what we need. Yeah, look, I, I, this, it goes back to what I was saying earlier about the luck that Holloway had or lack of it. Um, it's another in the long line of things that I think is a kind of a big what if. Um, you know, what what if Glenn Murray hadn't got injured? And it, it, it's a hard thing to to have have your best players leave the club after promotion. It's not really what you expect. You know, if anything, you expect promotion to allow you to keep your best players. Yet, 
uh, because of injury and um, and because of Man United, we lost our, our two best players. So I think Holloway's had to deal with that as well, and that's that's worth remembering. And but you know he's gone, and um, so uh, so really let's let's. I mean we've got West Brom to talk about, and then we'll we'll come come back and we'll have a quick probably ten minute chat about the uh, managerial options and what people think. But uh, but yep, yeah, next weekend sees us travel to the Hawthorns to play West Bromwich Albion. Uh, they've been on a five-game uh, unbeaten run until they went to uh, to play Liverpool. Uh, well, actually, I can't remember if that was home or away. I think it was at Anfield. And um, yeah, got got beaten four-one. Had a slightly uh, generous penalty given for them for their goal, and um, were absolutely taken apart by Suarez and by uh, and by Sturridge. Um, so yeah, I mean, first of all, guys, let, let's talk about this. They've they've been well beaten. Um, so is this a something we, something we should be looking at? Bearing in mind we may or may not have a new manager in place, so we're quite, you know, there's a bit of an unknown quantity in there. But is West Brom away a game we should be thinking we'll be lucky to get anything out of, or a game where points are a, a realistic uh, hope or expectation? Get your opinion on that first, Nick, please. I think we'll be lucky to get anything out of anything the way things have been going for us. You know, our wonder shots don't go in. Other teams' wonder shots do go in. I just oh, stop mugging. I hope it balances itself out of the season. No, West Brom are a good side. Um, they got tonked a bit today, didn't they? But I think it's hard to tell. I'd be very happy if we come away with a draw. I really mm. would. Well, we've got, I mean, obviously we're now bottom of the league, so that's a horrible psychological thing. It, it just needs... You know, so going going away to West Brom and getting a getting a point or getting a win would be a huge, huge lift. You know, new manager in charge or not, and I think it's it's hard to say whether it it's realistic or not. But um, I mean, they I don't want to underestimate them. That's the thing. They had they had a hard time uh, in their last game, but they, they're a good side. They went away and they beat Man United, Old Trafford, and. I know, obviously, Man United have been struggling a little bit this year, but you have to be pretty good to do that. We didn't really get anywhere near it. We we, we sort of held them back for a while, but you know it was very one-sided that game. So I don't know, um, Tony. What are your thoughts? I don't know. I disagree. I actually, because of um, losing Lukaku, and then obviously Lukaku's gone to Everton now. I I actually had West Brom as one of the teams that are going to be down there fighting relegation. I don't think they've got a massive squad. Um, I think a couple of key injuries, and they're they're going to struggle. And um, I think, you know, I think they're there for us. You know, we're the only way up for us. You know, we've, we've got nothing to lose at the moment. We keep losing already, so we might as well go for it. And I, I think this could be, hopefully, fingers crossed, the start of something. Mm. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a perfect game to go out there and just, you know, we're away from home. You know, we still haven't got a manager. Just go for it. And then hopefully we'll catch them by surprise. Mm. I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> Nor do I. <laughs> I think, we can I think play like we did against no, Arsenal. No, no, come on, look. look we can you, play like we did against Arsenal, against West Brom. I don't see why we can't. If we can nullify Arsenal's attack, which is what we did, why can't we do it against West Brom, who are arguably not not as good a team? I say arguably, proofs in the pudding, really. It's exactly, because you're, you're starting to say that. And then the, the, the thing you mentioned earlier about playing against Fulham and about us imposing our game on them, I think... It's, it's that kind of a situation where we could, if we play the same way we did against Arsenal, against West Brom, and just let them have the ball and not really do anything, and if we don't win, then people will be going, oh, we've got to take the ball, we've got to take the game, West Brom, they're a lesser team, blah. I think we we naturally will go out and try and give Arsenal more of a, sorry, and give West Brom more of a game than we did Arsenal. Uh, and I think that they're, 
they are better than us. And if we go toe-to-toe with them, I think they will beat us. Um, I know what you're saying, but I, I just don't agree. I think they're a better side than you give them credit for. Well, that's what uh, they did. That's what they did at Old Trafford. They attacked, mm. and they attacked to the end. And that, mm. That's why they won. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be joyous with a point from now, I've got to tell you. Yeah. I think, I think we did take it to Arsenal at points. I think there were points in the game where we were attacking them and they didn't know what to do with us. Um, as we, we played very well against Arsenal, but I'd say, you know, most of the time Arsenal had the ball and I think we, we occasionally broken them and gave them some trouble and when they went down to 10 men, we, we, we you know, we, we took the game more to them. But I think, I th- yeah, I think you've got to be realistic and I think if you, I think it's easy to be dismissive of West Brom because they are West Brom. But when you look at their squad and you look at the evidence and you look at the games that they've played this season, they're, they're a much better side than... Um, did they finish 10th last perhaps. year? <laughs> yeah, I think they did, something like that, yeah. Steve, um, Steve yeah, Clark's done a really good job there. Yeah, 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 with Lukaku, yeah. But um, it's not like they haven't got anything up front to this this time around, is it? Uh, you know, they, they, they've gone out and spent a bit of money. It's like... The, obviously, the longer you're in the Premiership, the, the sort of easier it is to get in Premiership players and, and I just yeah I think I just think they're a better side than that but you're, you're entitled to disagree and that's what it's all about it's all about opinions talking of opinions well what are your predictions gentlemen let's just start with you Nick 2-1 West Brom Jill mm. <laughs> um, a loss to West Brom I don't know I'm what not, that means and we're going to lose I'm not going <laughs> to oh, I don't want to look. give a score oh okay I wanted to give, I told you the other day, I wanted to give 3-1 Fulham uh, at the Fulham and I just went, no, 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 I'll go for the draw, hoping we mm. get a draw. And and I can't see us getting anything out of it. I, I don't, you know, a miserable gel, but they're, they're a very, very good side and you, you completely underestimate them. Mm. Okay. Tony? I think 2-1 Palace. <laughs> like the optimism? I think, I think, I think, I think we'll... Um... I think we'll score, they'll equalise, and then we'll get something like in the last five minutes. A gut feeling over there. <coughs> All right, good stuff. Uh, I, I'm going to go for a, a, a spirited 1-1 one, one draw. I think we'll, I think it would just be a little more, bit more, uh, I don't know, I just fancy us to get a bit of luck. I think we'd do it. So there you go. Um, there we go. So let's, um, let's have one last, we've got some uh, predictions from the chat room actually. Bob's, we're going to catch a big one. Dweeb, 1-1. One, one. Uh, DJ Suarez, 1-0 Palace. 1-1 uh, one, one draw from... Epsom Eagle, uh, 2-1, I don't know, 1-2, I don't know, Hubbo, whether he means that in the away score is the second score, so Palace to win 2-1, or we're going to lose, don't know, Bob says 5-0, only joking, 3-1. And Serial uh, <laughs> so they... says uh, 4-1 with a Calvin overhead. Right. Tony Johnson says, if we play, the, uh, play against West Brom the way we did on Saturday, we will win, have to aim high. Well, there you go. I suppose that's a, that's a good point Tony's making there. And, um, you know, sometimes you do have to be a bit more ambitious. But, and, and maybe maybe uh, Tony's right about the, um, about, about the fact that West Brom are there for the taking. So I guess we, we're like, we can only wait and see. But, um, yeah, I'm not holding out a huge amount of hope. I think this is just danger of having too much expectation. But let's talk about the managerial situation just before we go. No, Tony, you have to wait. Um, oh. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I used to talk overhead kicks. <laughs> <laughs> now, do it another time. Uh, just to sort of get inform this a little bit, um, Chris123 on Homesdale.net earlier on said, um, please give some thought as to whether our new manager really needs prior Prem experience. Seems unnecessary restricting to me, unnecessarily restricting to me, as Southampton have demonstrated recently. Um, I, I was talking, again, another, another pub conversation, funnily enough, where we talking about the fact that it had been mentioned um, uh, that... Uh, uh, well, that basically, the the, st- the statement from Steve Parrish suggested some connection to Palace and some Premiership experience and all this sort of stuff. And um, my view was that that was just the kind of thinking at the time, and with someone potentially in mind. Um, but maybe, but he did say not to discount anyone. So I'm not sure if we'll be sticking sticking rigidly to that. Um, but g- gentlemen, is that something that you think is is actually a necessity to have Premier League managing experience? And if so, what kind of experience? I'll start with you, Joe. Uh, listen, I, I just want. Uh, so, I, 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 I'll tell you what I heard today. I heard someone someone run me out and said Stuart Pearce. No. Now, no. Oh, there we go. No, 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 no. But you're saying that though. But he's 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 managed egos for years. He had the under twenty ones. He knows his football. He's, as you cannot get anyone more that will be more committed to the cause. And having players setting up as a as an international team is different. I think he can bring almost an international flavour to to Palace if it was someone like him. But I mean, right. I can't see I can't see Pulis coming. He wants two million quid a year, so it's forty grand a week. We ain't got that. If we ain't got that money, we ain't got that money. So um, I can't see who we can have. Walnut could be a, a step backwards. Walnut, Cottbull, everyone else that people have been associating with Palace. Walnut as a as a as a director of football, maybe. But you know, I, right. I just thought we should go Eddie Al. I think he, I think he'd sort us out. Right, I, I've got there's there's loads there's loads in there. I'll uh, I'll try and address it. I'm, uh, Tony's <laughs> Tony's agreed with you. Um, let, let's start with the Stuart Pearce thing. Um, I'd be as diplomatic as possible, and I, I, in my opinion, Stuart Pearce is not smart enough to be a successful manager at any level. Uh, I think he did re- did did an absolutely. But you exception. wouldn't say that to his face. I wouldn't know, but I do. <laughs> I do think he did it, considering his his abilities uh, in inverted commas. Uh, I think he did quite well with the under twenty ones, but I think. It was noticeable at times how much that they underachieved in certain games and how poorly that they played in certain games as well. That it was a lot of he had a lot of quality at times, and it's a difficult job for England because certainly if anyone's got any kind of level of form in the England setup, they seem to get jumped straight up to the the, the full squad, and you never really see him again as under twenty one manager. So in a lot of other countries, they use you know the the players that play for the international still drop back down, play the under twenty ones for tournaments. So he had a lot to deal with, but but I mean. Five I years just, he was I just in. Don't, I just don't. I just don't think he's anywhere near smart enough or good enough as a manager. So uh, let, let's look at you, you. You basically my my idea has been slated by you there, Joe. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's that. I think I think we're set up in a certain. We've got to be careful. Uh, you talked about t- uh, Tony Pulis. Um, I got, I don't want him uh, for a variety of reasons. But he is the sort of manager where you say. Um, uh, where it's the sort of manager where you say, uh, if we could guarantee almost some degree of staying up in the Premier League, then then great because he's got, should we say, he's got this Premier League experience or whatever. But I mean, is he realistically going to the right man to come to a team that's going to struggle to stay up 
and to take us back up and all that sort of stuff. I'm not so sure. I don't think the squad we've got now, if we're intent, as Steve Parrish said, if we're as intent on um, on going out and, and uh, having a real go to try and stay in the Premier League, because that's what apparently we're going to do. 30, well, 29 games left now. We're going to get a manager in and we're going to have a right good go at staying in this league. If we're going to do that, then I don't think you can, you have to think, and I don't think you can think long term, can you? I think you've got to think, what's the best thing that's going to happen? So what we've got was we've assembled a squad. There won't be a huge changes to it in January. So basically what we've got is what we've got. So what you need, in my view, is someone who's going to come in, deal with the disciplinary issues that have been rumoured, assuming that they are, they are true, get us organised defensively and get us a platform to go and attack teams. Now, if you're asking me who's out of work and who's going to be able to do that in a very on a short in the short term, on a very very quick basis, come in and have an impact, and that's why I go for Neil Warnock for the rest of the season, and then I can see realistically him moving upstairs, and then someone like an Eddie Howe, or maybe my, my shout is Phil Parkinson at Bradford, um, someone like that to come in work with with, with Warnock and his director of football in the, in the same way that Dave Dave uh, Bassett used to do, kind of firefighting. Really short-term roles. Yeah, yeah. Get yeah. A team through a, a sticky patch before they get the next manager in. Yeah, I, almost I, like I, a honest... supply teacher, but a supply yeah. manager. Otherwise, you've got this situation where, in in a similar way to, to Holloway, in that he's had to have, he's come in and he's had these ideas. Yeah, but I, I, I disagree I mean? there, Chris. Cause wait, he's wait, still wait. Got... Let me finish my sentence. He's had All he's right. had his he's had his ideas. He's communicated them. We've got promoted. They don't work, so he can't backtrack and say, "Oh, all my ideas are, are wrong for this division." Look, guys, all that stuff I told you about this style of play that we're going to do and how it's going to get you winning games can't do it anymore. You're going to have to do something different. It's it's a lot easier to get someone in new to do that, and that's why I think this season, we I think our, our fight to stay in this division is likely to is more likely than not going to end in failure. So that's why I see a short-term option as, as the best option in the Premier League. I think it gives us, A, the best chance of staying up, and B, if we don't, it gives us a good chance to change, again, with a different type of manager, with a view to getting us back up. The, the thing you... is, Joe, Joe was saying earlier about the, uh, the whole point of the Premiership. Somebody's got experience of the Premier League in, and, and that's fine and good if you've been in the Premier League for a while and there are people at the club who are used to being in the Premier League, but we don't want to be exposed to kind of the naivety again. Do you see what I mean? We don't want to get ripped off like we did last time by paying hugely inflated wages to your Terry Venables of the world. <laughs> it, it's, it's really hard. You've also got to think about next season. Are we building for next season anyway? Building for if we do go down? I, mean, I, don't, I don't think you can. I don't what's think manifesto? you manifesto? Do you think? Do you not think? I might be wrong here, but do you not think? And um, I'll come to a gel on this in a minute. Uh, sorry, Tony first, then gel. But um, do you not think this because of the size of the gap between Championship and Premiership? Do you not think it's too big an ask to plan for both? I, I, I think we should do all we can to stay up. That's got to be the first. Yeah, yeah, point that's it. Exactly. Right now, we think. We th- we think what's the be- what's going to give us the best chance? Are we going to go out and spend a load of money on new players? No, uh, we'll try probably try and move someone. I guess in January, uh, try and maybe get someone back on loan in the shape of Wolf Zaha, something like that. But like, do you know what I mean? Just just go out and try and do something, uh, but but just not overstretch because of the position that we already find ourselves in. Or do we say no? We've got to think long term straight away and then try and get a manager who gives us both. In the, a chance in the Premier League and is happy to stay around. Oh, a perfect go? person. They're, they're tied to the club. They're known behind the scenes. They, they've, they've got a 
good pedigree of getting improvement results to take games go along, and that's got a big gel, hasn't it? He's yeah, Mr. Really Gerald. Really good at motivating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. him on the touchline. I think it'd be a refreshing change for football. I'm and sorry. I think to... she'd have the first female assistant manager. And who would that be? I'll, I'll let Gerald choose that. Oh, okay. Uh, can I just point out that Gerald and Neil Warnock are almost exactly the same as managers. Uh, Tony, you wanted to uh, say something, then Gerald can speak. I think I think the decision comes down to you know if you, if you're going to go for a younger manager with slightly less experience, you have to have a director of football. I think that's a must. I think a younger manager would address Nick's point of long term, if you like, you know, having planning for the future. Someone if we do go down or etc. But we have to have a director of football in there to guide, um, especially if they haven't got that much experience. Now they've spoken a lot about experience. I personally. I think Martin O'Neill is, is, is a good shout. I, he might ask for more wages, but I think he's the sort of manager that would command that. He's been successful at most teams he's been at. I mean, look at the stuff he did with Sunderland before, obviously, he left. Aston Villa, you know, he'll bring players in as well. He, he, he'll attract players. That's the other thing you need to worry about as well. If we bring in someone, I mean, Eddie Howe's a great shout. I mean, he didn't have such a good success in, I think, it was, was it Burnley before? Um, mm. He didn't have as good success, and he's, he's doing yes. better with Bournemouth now. But is he going to attract players? Players are going to think, yeah, I want to go play for him. Someone like Martin O'Neill, he's got premiership experience, he's a good manager, and he'll attract players as well. I think he's the right fit for us, but it's just whether we get him or not. Mm. Um, there's, there's a degree of a school of thought, if you like, that suggests that Martin O'Neill's um, motivation is... is is not what it once was, and and the part of the reason he's gone the way he's gone um, is that he no longer feels able to uh, to motivate the modern day footballer. And I think it's quite interesting that that that's just, that that was his comments. Of, you know, when he when he left his last job, but oh, it was Sunderland, wasn't it? So um, I think considering what we've just gone through, and in Holloway saying he's struggling to motivate the modern player, and you know, well the players that he was playing for him anyway. I think it's interesting that, that Martin O'Neill is um, he's very high, very high in the, the odds, put it that way. So, um, but last point though, Joe. Uh, Roberto Di Matteo. I just can't. Mm. All, all this talk about him. I can't, he was manager of Chelsea, but he had had a squillion billion quid thrown at the team. All he had to do was go in here and, and take over and win the FA Cup. That we, we can't, we couldn't, we can't afford him. It's as simple as that. He's not going to come down to us at 15 grand a week. He's not going to... Uh, we can't afford O'Neill. We definitely can't afford O'Neill. There's much bigger fish out there for him to, to manage. If he sticks his hands out, arms up again and says, I want to come back in, there's definitely um, bigger teams. Um, and yeah, you know, if we can't afford Pulis, I think this is all going to be down to money. The other thing as well is if we're after someone who... Come, who, who knows the club, who knows the fans, who knows, just knows everything about, who has a feel for Palace, then I feel it has to be, I think it has to be an ex-player. But with, a, with a, this director of football, I, mm. I think, I, I don't, I'm not saying a, a director, these directors of footballs are basically just someone with a second-hand opinion or someone that you trust to give you an opinion. And that generally is um, someone you've worked with in the past, either mm. on a football pitch or someone that you've seen and thought, I love the way, what that geezer is the nuts. You know, behind the oh, scenes yeah. is the nuts. And if ever I get into management, I'm going to take him along. It'd be like, just, just for instance, say it was right and bright. I'm not saying it's them. For it, but don't, don't take me that. I'm just saying. But you know, people that are still friends and, but it's got to be, right. it's got to be someone who, two people that are friends and that, that know about the club and that. Well, the rest of it. Let, let's let's have a look at how, how this works. I mean, it, 
to, to pick someone who was a director of football quite successfully um, in recent times who does have a, a Palace connection, Lenny Lawrence, right? So, for example, he worked as a director of football. He had Paul Trollope, I think, working underneath him at Bristol Rovers. And they, they did pretty well down there. And But what it was, it was the, the setup for, for a director of football is someone who is essentially taking a workload off. And most of it is centred around transfer dealings and contract dealings and things like that. Identification of players, um, making sure he'll fit a system, being that go-between between between the board and the manager. Because I think I think why why this has come up, this director of football idea has come up, and obviously it would be down at the discretion of any manager that was brought in. If they want one, if they don't want a director of football, we won't have one. Put it that way. But I think the reason this has come up is because that was the draining part. That's the thing that just knackered Ian Holloway out was that we had so much to do in such a short space of time that. He was trying to work with the team and he was trying to work with the board and he was trying to work on transfers and formations and tactics and continuously, all those things that a manager does. But the workload at our club is too great because of the way, well, we're, we're behind everyone in the way we're set up. There's, you know, there's a lot of scouting to be done and we don't have a proper scouting network. There's a lot of work to be done. Well, all of us right. haven't. We don't have a proper scouting network. No, we, we don't have a scouting network. Wait, 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 Joe. We don't have a Premier League scouting set up. Uh, the scouting set up to get you Premier League quality players. You got to remember, we've been through an administration since our since our last visit there. With so we, respect, we lock- mate, do you not just watch the telly and go find out if it's <laughs> available? That's it, isn't it? Surely, the, well, people send you DVDs. Of yeah, the- yeah, yeah. Let me let me give you let me give you an example then, because so someone recommends Florian Marange to us and says uh, you're after a defender. I've got here's my here's my uh, client Florian Marange plays left back and centre back. Gives you a bit of cover left back. Can play centre back. What are you after? Oh, we're after a defender with pace. Oh, yeah, Florian's got pace. Turns up, signs, got no pace. That's that's the sort of thing that's happened, right? So that's the sort of thing you need to avoid. So you need to you need to have a better knowledge than a video that someone's given you and someone who's you're suddenly your best mate who's an agent who's telling you, yeah, I got exactly the thing you need. You know what I mean? So I, what I'm getting at is we, we've got to have more of a professional setup. And that might be where this director of football idea comes in. So just to sign us off, because we've got to go, even though we could probably talk for another five hours on all this, um, just sort of set us up. Like, I don't think any any one of us knows who the best candidate is. The betting has got very, very interesting today in that Chris Coleman, of all people, no! has, uh, has uh, basically suddenly gone right up alongside Tony Pulis. Um, as the, I've called him Pulis by mistake. Tony Pulis. Um in, in the betting, but there was um, just to give you a quick rundown on who the, the, to the top um, odds. Of, uh, sorry, the best well, the players, the managers who are being backed the most. God dear, couldn't say that. Uh, Tony Pulis is still uh, the favourite, followed by Chris Coleman, Martin O'Neill, Avram Grant, full favourite. Uh, a, a guy called Aitor Karenka, who's that, who's a was a centre back for Real Madrid amongst other people, and I think until recently was. Uh, an assistant manager or a coach at something at Real Madrid. He's come out of nowhere and he's only on at Stan James at 20 to 1. Um, and I don't know why he's suddenly there as a, a fifth favourite. So it's an interesting one. Uh, Alan Pardew's been cl- slowly climbing today. Uh, he's just ahead of Neil Warnock. Alan like Kerr, obviously. Pardew. 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 Yeah. Mm. Why not? Yeah, the, the, more, the more I see him. No, no, of course he's. We'd have to pay a horrendous amount of dough to Newcastle. So we signed an eight-year deal. Yeah, I think it's probably exactly. a get-out. But yeah, I don't see. I don't see that one. But there you go. Obviously, he must have been being backed a little bit earlier today because he was nowhere in the um, nowhere in there at all. 
recently. I guess that's probably related to the result against Sunderland, where they're thinking that he might get might get the sack and suddenly move straight in at Palace. But there you go. Those are the sort of names being linked to Kerbyshire, Di Matteo, followed that, followed by Zola, who's just ahead of Stuart Pearce. Popovich is, is getting a little bit higher in the uh, asking there. Carl Robinson, Steve Koppel, Kenny Sanson, Mike Freeland, all that sort of stuff. So oh there you go. Um, Dougie's been dropping as well, and he's getting a little bit further out. So there you go. But uh, yeah, looking very. So according to the um, <laughs> according to the odds checker, um, it's, it seems to be a straight fight between uh, Coleman and Pulis, and neither of which personally I would want. But there you go. So that's where we are at the moment. Who knows where we'll be next week? <laughs> God knows. But that uh, that does that brings us to the end of, of another show. So thanks to all of you who've listened in live today. Uh, thanks to those of you who are listening on the podcast. And uh, special thanks to everyone who's contributed to the show today, whether we read it out or not. Um, really does do appreciate all your contact. Uh, you can always get in touch with us uh, when we're off air. You can email us, radio at homesdale.net. And if it's good enough, we'll use it next week or in shaping our show. Uh, we're back live next Sunday at 8pm. So until then, goodbye. See ya. Homesdale Radio is proudly sponsored by CompleteSigns.co.uk. Complete Signs are a producer of top quality internal and external signs for an ever-expanding portfolio of clients, including hotels, schools, local authorities and small businesses across the nation. Offering a wide range of creative solutions from flat metal nameplates to neon fascia signs and everything in between. Clients are offered the highest standards in consultation and sales support to ensure complete customer satisfaction. With clients free to choose solutions from a wide variety of materials including brass, aluminium, stainless steel, wood and a number of plastics. Covering most of South England with virtual offices in Croydon, Epsom, Hawley, Worcester Park in Surrey, Crowthorne in Berkshire, Regent Street West London, Docklands East London and Crawley and Brighton in Sussex. So if you're looking for the complete professional service for your sign needs, then look no further than Complete Signs. Head to their website, completesigns.co.uk, for further information, including contact details and full office addresses. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.